Broadcasting from the Ali Ohana Studios, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. Let's talk freight. Welcome back, Midnight Freight Broker Nation. It's episode 31. That's 3-1. That means there's 30 other episodes that you may not have listened to yet. So make sure if you are a first-time listener, hit that subscribe button. That'll make sure you get the latest content as soon as I launch it. Make sure to leave me a review. Five stars is always recommended, but be honest. If you want to do six, go for six. I still don't think they're going to let you do that, though. Also, referrals. Share this podcast with your fellow freight broker, friends, family, anyone that you know in the industry. All right, so for today's episode... We're going to talk about a couple different things here. I'm going to go through a couple of news articles, and we're going to talk about what's happening now that we're in April with the coronavirus pandemic. We're going to see how rates have been looking and where they're going to go. I'm going to give a little prediction here. And then I'm going to talk about non-competes. After everything last week with TQL, and I did watch Cassandra Gaines' webinar last week that she did on Friday, I wanted to dig into it myself and give my own spin on non-competes. I'm going to talk as far as um, you know, if you are a employee yourself and you want to look at what does a non-compete mean for you, how to handle them, and also as a brokerage owner, how to utilize non-competes in a good, smart way that's going to make sure that they're not just totally tossed out. And then I've got some trending in social media. So first off here, let's look at the news. So I've seen a, a bunch of different stuff here. I actually, I had a, an article that, uh, that I pulled from talkbusiness.net yesterday. And I actually, I wanted to look at a couple other things as well because there is so much going on out there in the, in the freight market. So um, this article, and the link is in the show notes, it's titled Trucking Rates Surge Amid Restocking Efforts in COVID-19 Pandemic. Okay, I'm gonna read a couple of quotes and then we're gonna talk about it. I'm gonna give you the, the what, the so what, and the what now. That way we all know what does this all mean? Why does it all matter? All right, so from the article, it says, dry van spot rates rose 2.4% in the week that ended on March 29th, that's last week, from the previous week, as truck drivers hauled freight to replenish retail inventory, according to DAT Solutions. Rates, however, are likely to fall this week as a result of declining load-to-truck ratios. Okay, another quote. Retail and consumer demand look to soften as a result of retailer closings, including Macy's, Kohl's, U.S. Foods, Gap, and L Brands, an overall decline in overall spending. The analysis noted a rise in personal consumption expenditures correlates with an increase in retail sales and will be negatively impacted by rising unemployment rates, fewer hours worked, and lower wage growth. Further on, it says the GDP decrease in the second quarter is projected to be followed by a GDP increase of 3% in the third quarter and a 5.1% increase in the fourth quarter, according to FTR. However, on an absolute dollar basis, it doesn't expect GDP to recover to first quarter 2020 levels until early 2021. And lastly, the rise in truckload demand is expected to lead to tonnage headwinds in the second quarter of 2020. 
Temperature-controlled freight demand is expected to remain stronger than freight attributed to the industrial and energy sectors, including flatbed and bulk markets. The rise in unemployment might become an industry headwind later this year and early into 2021 as lower barriers to enter the truckload market and falling used equipment prices might lead to additional capacity in the market. All right, that was a mouthful. (laughs) What does it all mean? Well, we saw spot rates going up last week from the week before, um, but it's guessing that they're going to fall because of the low to truck ratio. So last week I talked about the increase in demand with a steady or holding capacity of trucks would lead to an increase in overall rates, which is obvious. That's a simple supply demand curve. Now, what happens when people stop buying as much stuff and there's less shipping going on? but the same amount of trucks are still there. Well, that's going to lead to a decrease. The article, you know, what, what I had read in addition is a lot of these retailers like Macy's, Kohl's, et cetera, when all these stores are shutting down, people aren't buying. Uh, obviously, there's online shopping, but you're going to have an overall decrease in economic activity. So that's going to lead to a decrease in shipping. Uh, when that happens, in addition, it also talked about cheaper equipment like trucks and whatnot, if people start buying up assets and increasing capacity, but the demand is going down for shipping, you're going to have cheap rates. Okay. That overall compiled with, or I guess, uh, spun in there with some cheaper fuel that we saw from the, the whole oil war that we were seeing over the last month, you're going to see rates going down overall. Now, what does it mean for the economy overall? When can we expect to see a rebound? Well, uh, I'm going to take, you know, this is where I'm going to take some input from other articles that I read as well as my own spin. Basically, what I think you're going to see happen is, you know, probably towards the tail end of 2020, I think you're going to see activity just about on par with, you know, where it is or where it was before all this started. Naturally, you're going to see an influx in, in spending when everybody gets those COVID checks. You know, they get their coronavirus welfare checks or whatever you want to call them from the, the CARES Act. Um, but, you know, with people out of work, less money coming in, people are going to buy less stuff. The essentials obviously are going to keep going. That's why they talked about refrigerated or temperature controlled units having a more of a, a steady or strong presence versus the, the flatbed or dry van market. Think about produce, grocery items, things that must be, you know, kept in a reefer trailer. That is heavily, you know, that that is heavily impacted by the consumption of just food, basic necessities. When it comes to other stuff that you'd see in dry van or flatbed, things that are being less purchased right now due to economic decreased activity, that's your result. So I gave you the what. The so what, expect lower rates and what now. Later this year, you'll probably see a bounce back. I, I'm not an uh, I'm not an economist by by definition or by profession, but that's my spin on it. I think that you're going to see a you know a, another or I guess a trend of decrease in rates over the next few weeks, and then when everyone starts getting back to work, probably in May, you'll see a a tick back upward in economic activity, and hopefully, we can get this country this world back to where it needs to be. Get everyone back to work. Everyone will be happy. We're going to stop being stir crazy. I know everyone's losing their losing their minds. I know I am. So, uh, which is why I actually, if you notice in my intro, it's the Ali Ohana Studios. That is Hawaiian for 
the home of the family or my, my family house or just my house. It's the home office. So um, that's why we got the Ali Ohana Studios here. We'll see how long we're operating here. But uh, hopefully we'll get everyone back to work soon and we can just get back to our normal lives and, and get that freight moving. All right, next, let's get into non-competes. So this has been a hot topic lately. Naturally, with people getting laid off, losing their jobs, just the the natural things that are happening due to the coronavirus pandemic and the decrease in business, the whole sticky issue of non-competes and non-solicitation clauses is coming up more and more, and people have a lot of questions. So my goal is to give some information here, shed some light, Get the conversation going. I'm not a lawyer, so you should definitely consult with one on your own if you are in that kind of a situation. Uh, But let's get into it. So what is a non-compete and what is a non-solicit and what is a confidential information clause? These are three things that you'll likely see in an employment contract if you're in a sales environment. These are common in the W-2 world. I have seen them in 1099 worlds. That's garbage. If you're an agent, you should never have to sign anything like that. Um, considering you're commission only and you're really betting on yourself. So a non-compete is a clause that tells you that if you were to leave your job for whatever reason, you cannot go work for a competing company. All right. So for example, if you work for TQL, you cannot turn around and then go work for Coyote, something like that. Um, Non-solicitation, that's a separate clause. What that states is outside of working for a competitor, You cannot solicit any accounts or customers that you either worked with or gained knowledge of while you were with your previous employer. So if you're working with, let's just make up some companies here like Amazon. Let's say you're shipping Amazon's freight at one company. You can't go somewhere else and start poaching that customer. Reason being, you've got inside knowledge on pricing and all kinds of stuff. The third one is confidential information. That's another separate clause. And this typically has to do with whether it's a marketing scheme or technology, pricing matrices, something like that. It's information that is secret or confidential to the company that you are working for, that you are working for, that you cannot then disclose to any other parties down the road. Now, with these three clauses, non-compete, non-solicit, and confidential information, they typically all have some timeline on them and sometimes a geographical radius. And this is actually important when it comes down to enforcement on them. So typically, you might see three months, six months, a year, two years. I've seen three years on non-competes. Non-solicit, same thing. Uh, Confidential information typically is just going to be in perpetuity. That's forever, because that is information that could be damaging down the road. Uh, I'm not saying that they're always going to be a forever clause, but that's pretty common in what I've seen in non-competes and employment clauses uh, over the years. So those are three different items. Now keep in mind, they can all be looked at separately. So you could get dinged on one, but not the other two or something along those lines. Why do they exist? All right, well, naturally, an employer, so a company is going to want to have these clauses to be able to protect their interest and prevent any kind of poaching. So if an employee, let's say you hire on 20 sales reps after six months, two of them are doing good. You want to get rid of the, the dead weight or cut the fat, however you want to you know, refer to it as, and allow you to cut those costs while still keeping any business or accounts that were produced by that hired class, right? So maybe you got 20, now you're down to two, and those two are 
making their base play plus commission, and they're going to work all the accounts that the other 18 were able to bring on as well. Now you're not paying 20 salaries, you're paying two salaries. All right, makes sense. Now, who actually has these documents? Well, if you're an employer, you're required to keep a copy of them. If you're an employee, you should keep a copy of yours. And a lot of people, if they leave a job, they're like, did I ever get a copy of that? Well, your HR department or your manager or somebody at your company should have a copy and should be able to give you a copy. Now, if you're looking at leaving a company, it's going to be a little bit of an awkward conversation if if you just go up and you're like, hey, uh, can I get a copy of my non-compete? You know, or even you go to HR who's supposed to be confidential and keep that a, a closed door meeting in between you and them, they might not end up turning around and, and going to your boss and saying, hey, so-and-so came in asking for a copy of their non-compete. Something might be up here. You know, not saying it's ethical, but it's likely to happen. You know, especially the, the smaller a company is, usually the more lenient they are and the less corporate structured they are. You might see that happen. So my advice is, if you start anywhere, not only read what you're going to sign, but also keep a copy. Because if it comes to the point where you leave a job or you're looking at leaving a job and you want to consult with an attorney or your new employer on any you know, restrictive covenants that you might have, you want to have a copy of that and have it easily accessible. Now, are non-competes legitimate? And who's the one to decide that? There is no black and white answer here, Okay. It's not state dependent necessarily. It's not range like uh, geographical radius specific or time specific. Non-competes at the end of the day, they're personal in nature, right? So if you're leaving somewhere and your boss or your old employer wants to have a vendetta against you, or maybe they want to set an example out of you, make, you know, kind of paint a picture of, hey, here's what's going to happen if anybody leaves here, right? If you're that guinea pig, it's going to get personal, right? Whereas somebody else who they don't see as a threat, if they leave, they might not do anything about it. So are they legitimate? They can be, right? A court is, or a judge really is going to be who decides that. It's a very, you know, I guess, fact-intensive, detail-oriented type of situation where they're going to look at a lot of different things. And at the end of the day, you know, it's going to come down to spending a lot of money with an attorney and, you know, it might be who's willing to spend the most money and open up their checkbook and who's going to tap out first. It might come down to that. Now, every state and every jurisdiction might look at employment stuff differently, but there really is no black and white answer to that. There's no cookie cutter answer on if they're legitimate or not. I've seen them upheld and I've seen them not upheld and I've seen them settle out of court or they're revised and there's a basically a new agreement put in place that's adhered to. So, um, Let's look at when you start at a new company and you have employment paperwork, what should you be doing, right? You should definitely, like I said before, know what you're signing, read through it in fine detail. You have the ability to take that and have somebody look over it with you, get a second opinion or even a third opinion. Make sure you know exactly what you're getting into here. Now, another idea too, if you've got some accounts that you're going to bring with you to a new company and you know, you're not restricted against doing so, I would highly encourage you to protect your own accounts when coming in. Have those excluded, all right? Have a, a list of accounts included in your contract that says, I'm bringing these with me. These are not subject to any restrictive covenant if I ever leave or if I'm terminated. 
These are my accounts. I brought them in. They're going to leave with me if I ever leave. That is very, very smart. Just like the employment is contingent upon the employer giving you an offer, you accepting that offer can be contingent upon any circumstances that you might put in there, such as these are my accounts. They come with me. They leave with me. That type of thing. All right. Now, let's say you leave a company. You have a non-compete. You saw it. You're worried about it. What should you do? You know, non-solicit, non-compete, all that stuff. Well, the uh, the easiest way to be on your former company's radar is to blatantly violate it and make it known. So let's definitely not do that. I have seen people that will, you know, they will leave, they will go work at another company and they will start a book of business from scratch. And that is definitely okay. I've seen people do it where they might take 60, 90 days, you know, two or three months, get themselves back up and running. You know what that tells me is not only did they do very well at those accounts that they had in the past, they're just a really, really good overall salesperson and freight broker. They give great service. People like to work with them. They probably get some referrals and they're going to do great again with a new book of business. So that's why I, you know, I haven't always been weary about somebody that, that has a non-solicit and can't touch all the customers because you know, typically the life cycle of their book of business is going to change anyway. They're going to have turnover. They're going to have new accounts. They're going to lose old accounts, stuff like that. It's going to be ever-changing. It's, it's very viscous. It's like water. So um, you know, that is, that is something that I definitely recommend is, is be creative, you know, don't go and be an a-hole and just go to try to back solicit everything. And, you know, it's not ethical in the first place, but you know, if you're good at what you do, you can do it again at another company. Okay. Now costs and consequences. Okay. Like I said before, these can be purely personal, but at the end of the day, they're going to cost you money if you have to utilize an attorney, okay? So if you're going to a new company, definitely talk to them about the fact that you have these restrictive covenants from your previous employer because they may want to use their attorney. They may want you to consult your own attorney. They may want to do a combination of both. There's all, you know, there's all kinds of situations and different ways to skin this cat, but, um, you know, take a look at how much are you going to want to really spend to fight this. There's got to be some kind of break-even analysis on it. So let's say you want to go all in, take your old book of business with you. You want to fight it and hope to win or hope to just be the guy that doesn't tap out first. You know, if you've got a big book of business, you could be spending tens, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars over a long period of time, depending on how large of a employee or maybe a, an office that you were, right? So there's got to be a break-even analysis. What, how much time and money are you willing to spend for this to be worth it for you to work with those customers again? You got to really think about that. It's not only a money thing. You're going to get tired, exhausted, annoyed, frustrated. Even if you win in these situations, you still had a little bit of a moral or you know, I guess a, an internal loss based on all the, the BS that you have to go through. So, you know, just something to keep in mind and think about when it comes to non-competes. Okay. Now, finally, I want to look at the ethical side of it. What is okay? What is not okay? Because just because something is legal or illegal does not always mean that it's ethical or unethical. Okay. So what is okay? Well, I would say what the right thing to do is Discuss it with your future employer 
And you may even want to have a conversation with your current or maybe it's previous employer and say, look, who do you want me to stay away from? Can we work through this? Can we find a way that we're not stepping on each other's toes? I'm just trying to work and provide for my family. You know, something like that. You can have the conversation whatever way is appropriate for you. But at the end of the day, do the right thing. Make sure you're not hiding anything from your future employer because they're going to be just as liable as you are. And if you hide that from them, that's grounds to get terminated. So definitely not the right way to start off a new job is to get fired because you didn't disclose something that's very important. Now, some smart things, you know, I've heard people say, I want to fly under the radar. I would say that if you're not poaching or doing anything that's dirty or slimy, sure, go for it. You know, I wouldn't advertise it to your previous employer. Don't slap your new job on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever you got going on because somebody at your last company is probably looking to see that change out there. And, you know, as soon as it happens, word's going to travel like a forest fire. There's always that one person in the office that gossips. I guess we're all, you know, working from home right now. So maybe you got a little bit of time to breathe here. But either way, just do the smart thing. Okay. Now, what's not okay? Don't be a liar. Okay. Do not hide it from your new employer. Don't just steal information from your last employer and try to poach old clients. Don't be downloading tons of data of pricing and stuff like that and trying to take it with you somewhere else or sell it off to somebody. That stuff is definitely not okay. And that you're just, you're asking for trouble. You're making a bad choice. It's going to come bite you in the ass. So don't do it. Uh, Overall, non-competes, they're a real thing. Okay. So I would say if you're an employee, the big takeaway here is make sure that you know what you're signing, have a very, very good understanding and definitely have a second opinion on it. Have that second or third set of eyes, take a look at it and just explain anything to you that you don't understand. Cause we, you know, we're not all lawyers. We don't know how to interpret legal jargon. Honestly, reading a contract that's very legal wording intensive is like reading a second language. You need an interpreter. That's what a lawyer is there for. Now, when it comes to the employer, what should you do? Make yours realistic, and I would say be flexible, okay? If you're going to really try and ask somebody to never work again in their field for a year, two years, three years, why? What is that going to really prove? What does that speak to you? What kind of legacy are you leaving? All right, word travels fast in the industry. And if you have a, a bad way of going about doing your business and, a, a, you know, you might promise an employee something and then you don't do it, you know, that, that bad news could spread pretty fast. You might be burning some bridges there. So be realistic. So here's a, here's a realistic expectation for a non-compete non-solicit. You could say, hey, you know, if you leave here, just don't take any of my business with you. Okay. Give me a year, six months, whatever it is. Just don't touch anything. You know, that's going to give that, that's going to give you the time to be able to, I guess, adapt to those changes, put a new person in place to take over those accounts, try to have a smooth transition. Okay. Um, if they're, you know, if somebody quits, you can, you know, if they're willing to, maybe you want to keep them around for a couple of days and help transition that stuff over. If they give you two weeks, great. Um, the, the goal here is to not let them sit around and grab as much data as they want and, and leave with it. But um, you also don't want to just leave a bad taste in their mouth and escort them out of the office or something like that. So um, I would say have a realistic timeline on it. I think you should compensate them too, right? Hey, 
by signing this non-compete, you're going to get a, uh, you know, it could be a severance package to buy in order to adhere to it. That should definitely help it hold up in court and maybe a sign on bonus when they first start on something like that. Either way, it's all about communication. I've talked about this numerous times in previous episodes and any kind of situation. It's all about communication, right? Just lay out the ground rules. Don't surprise somebody with something unexpected. Just lay it out there all on the table. That way there's no surprises. So that's not a pizza in a nutshell. I'm very, very curious to see how this stuff all plays out in the coming weeks and months because I'm being told that as you know, non-essential legal proceedings are not even being taken right now until at least middle of May. So that might either give you time to breathe, kind of figure some stuff out, or you know, shit just might hit the fan mid-May when uh, when everybody starts getting hit with these. So who knows? We'll see what happens. That's not going to stop a law firm from sending you a scare tactic, cease and desist, or some kind of reminder letter that's written in a you know a deep, dark, demonic narrative, you know, yada, yada. If you do this, I'm going to sue to the fullest extent and get damages, yada, yada. They can send that stuff all they want. At the end of the day, if somebody can actually get a injunctive relief, I believe it's called, where they can actually get a judge to do some sort of restraining order that's going to stop you from working, that stuff's not going to happen at all until uh, middle of May. Oh, further, one more thing. The higher pay you are, the more attention you're going to get from a court. Okay. So if you're, you know, let's say you've been at a company six months, you didn't really make it, you're making 40 grand a year, you're not going to get as much attention at a court as someone that maybe was making 150, 200K plus because you had a high salary, bunch of commission, all that good stuff. So just, you know, food for thought. So take it for what it's worth. My opinion is worth exactly what you pay for it, which is zero. So, uh, but hey, some people might actually like my opinion. That's for you guys to decide. All right. Lastly, trending and social media. Uh, the for, I got four here. The first two both come from Bill. I think it's two different Bills. We're going to call them Bill 1 and Bill 2. Let's see. Bill 1 says, he talks about uh, brokers demanding macro point, and then they still constantly call you. All right, so Bill's annoyed. He wants to know, you're asking me to do macro point or Descartes. Either way, whether it's truck stop, Descartes, whatever, they want GPS tracking, but then the broker's still calling them every 20 minutes looking for updates. All right, here's what I think. Set your expectations up front. If you're gonna, if you're a broker, tell your carrier, hey, I need macro point on here. The reason for the macro point is my customer logs in and they like to see a rough location of where the drivers locate so they can just kind of do some planning themselves. In addition to that, I'm going to give you a call once a day just to check in and see how everything's going because macro point doesn't exactly give you all the info you want. It's just location. Okay. And it's usually like every four hours if it's standard or every hour, if you have critical, you know, you can get some live tracking with different tools as well. But what if there's something you need to relate to that driver, such as, hey, the appointment time is going to have to shift a little bit. Phone calls are always in order. Check calls are a great thing, okay? So just set the expectation up front. If you're a broker and you're just trying to get some tracking information out of a check call when you already know, it's kind of a dumb phone call. Just let the person know up front, here's my expectation. Set it on both ends. If you're a carrier, let them know that, hey, you don't have to call me every 20 minutes. I'll do macro point. I'll eat the cost. Yada, yada. You can do whatever you want. So just again, communicate. 
Bill number two says, uh, let's see, he's got a problem with arrogant young sales reps that demand the world but deliver like crap. <laughs> uh, this is great. Bill, you seem, fr- I don't know if this has to be the same Bill just pissed off, just ranting and raving on social media. Um, well, yeah, there's definitely some young sales reps out there that, uh, that are probably asking for the world but deliver like crap. Why are you still using them then? That's my question. If you got the same company that, these guys are asking you for all, you know, they want to bust your rates down. They want to fine you for this and that. They want to call you every 20 minutes, but then they, the load falls off or they had something wrong. Dude, these are inexperienced folks. These are, this is the high turnover you're going to see in a big W2 environment. Stop working with those kind of people. Find good brokers that are reliable and consistent and work with them. That's my answer there. It's a good statement though. It's true. Next is Kenny. Kenny says... He has an issue with people making huge margins in a time of crisis. Why? Capitalism, baby. So I get it. It's one thing to be profitable in a time like right now, but it's another to go and brag about it. So Kenny probably saw someone bragging or heard someone bragging about it. Yes. So as brokers, there are times when we take losses and it's made up for in times like these when we can have bigger margins. Not every one of these lanes has a good margin right now. And if you're a carrier, I'll tell you this. If a load doesn't work for you, don't take it. That goes for carriers and brokers. If a load does not work for you, if you're a carrier and you don't have capacity or the deadhead is too far or you're a broker, you don't have good carrier relationships or the customer is just, you know, it's not, it's not working on the price side for you. You can't find somebody at that rate. Don't take the load. All right. If you get a good one that has a good margin, a really good rip, good for you. That is what hard work will pay off and give to you. All right, finally, Wesley. Wesley says, brokers won't give carriers a load if they have a broker authority too. Ah, okay. So Wesley obviously works for a carrier or is a carrier that has two authorities. Got the the broker and the asset authority. So um, I see both sides of this. All right. And it's going to come down to the relationship. So yes, some brokers are a little reluctant to give a load to a carrier that also has a brokerage authority. They're probably afraid or they've been bitten in the past or, you know, burned, whatever you want to call it, because the load was double brokered, which is obviously a no, no. All right. No bueno on that, on that. So I would say between the issue of the double brokerage and getting burned in the past, um, you know, why are you worried? Is this a new relationship with this carrier or with this broker? I would say if, if it's a first time go and you've never had an issue with this stuff in the past, maybe make that person feel better. Get them on the phone with the owner or offer a referral to them. There's always a way to overcome this kind of stuff. Brokers and carriers need each other. We don't need to be eternal enemies. So again, build that relationship, offer the referral, get them on the phone with the boss if you have to. Okay. Don't think that everyone's going to burn you just because you've been burned in the past, right? This is where good research, good data, good technology is going to give you details on how carriers are performing, how brokers are performing, paying, all that stuff. All right? So that was a good episode. Make sure that check out that show notes, right? The article in there that I had is, is listed in there. And make sure, again, check out all 30 other episodes. I'm looking forward to what's coming up here. I'm thinking that the coronavirus pandemic here is going to be a roller coaster of crazy stuff happening. I don't even know what I'm going to talk about in the next episode. It's probably going to be something that I don't even know happened yet. So stay tuned. Make sure to listen to all the other episodes. 
I got nothing on the sports realm for you guys today because there really is no sports. So um, if you guys have any good ideas for topics or anything like that, definitely shoot me a message on LinkedIn. It's Nate Cross listed as 3PL Professional. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining us and make sure to check out the show notes for links to the articles that I discussed today. Make sure to leave a review and send me a message with your comments and suggestions for future topics. See you on the next episode. Aloha.